If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. question that often comes up in the discussion around cannabis is what about the mental health concerns? Uh, and, and certainly it's a legitimate question. I mean, it's a legitimate question about any drug. What are, are the health impacts? Uh, and to varying degrees, even the legal drugs we have have negative health impacts. It doesn't necessarily shape the question of, of whether that substance should be legal. But I think it's important to understand what the risks are. So now as we've legalized cannabis and consenting adults can make that decision to use it if they so choose, I think it's still an important question to understand. What is the impact when it comes to mental health? Does cannabis cause mental health problems in heavy users? Does cannabis exacerbate mental health problems in people who might already be dealing with, with that? Are, are there a lot of myths around this question? It's the kind of question, though, that can get caught up in, in a lot of the politics, I think, of the cannabis debate. But there, there is a real scientific and medical question underlying all of this. Uh, to that end, there's a fascinating piece uh, it's scient- uh, in Scientific American, uh, a lengthy overview of the evidence on this question. Is cannabis good or bad for mental health? So I wanted to get into uh, the science and all of this and, and what the evidence tells us, where there's still some uncertainty. Uh, very pleased to welcome to the program this afternoon the uh, author of this piece, which you can find at scientificamerican.com. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Stea is a Calgary-based clinical psychologist uh, with research and clinical expertise in the field of addiction. Dr. Stea, great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thanks, Rob. How extensive is the body of evidence when it comes to the question of cannabis or any drug for that matter and mental health? How extensive is it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a complicated question, especially when it comes to cannabis, um, which is one of the main points I was trying to drive home in this piece is that cannabis isn't really um, – the way to think about it is not to think about it as a single substance. It actually contains more than – the cannabis plant contains more than 500 identified chemicals, and over 100 of those are cannabinoids. And so um, we don't know much about it, to be to be frank. And, and two of the most studied ones that we know about are something called THC and CBD. And, and they interact in very um, – they have an impact on mental health in very different ways. So um, right away, I mean, just – the term cannabis is really an umbrella term and so when we're talking about cannabis it's really important to um, be clear around the language and exactly um, to to get clear on if we're talking about the entire plant or particular cannabinoids in the plant yeah that's interesting i mean is cannabis Mm -hmm. unique in that sense then i think so yeah i mean it there's other substances that'll that'll activate different parts of our, our biology. I mean, um, the you know, for example, alcohol will activate uh, our GABA system is what it's called. It activates in some parts our, our opioid system, but, but for the most part, cannabis is, is much more complicated than that. 
uh, versus something like a you know a cocaine is going to directly hit our dopaminergic reward circuitry, which is our reward circuits. And um, in that way, cannabis is unique, I would say. So the the impairment that comes from cannabis, or the high that comes from cannabis, what what is the mechanism then that that's that's occurring within the human body? Well, it's it's interesting when, when if we just zero in on THC and, and CBD in. Um, which are two cannabinoids in the plant. In general, THC has been, um, you, could, you could make a general statement that it's been found to produce anxiety and psychotic symptoms in people, especially at very high dosages. Um, it's also what produces the euphoria and the kind of high that people get. Um, and, and when I say anxiety and, and psychotic symptoms, I mean kind of acute transient. So as soon as you have it, you kind of get high, and some people actually experience psychotic um, and anxiety features, but not everyone. It's, it's dependent on a, on a number of different variables. But that's quite different than CBD, which is the other main active ingredient in, in cannabis. And in, in many ways, it has the opposite effect. So CBD has been shown to produce anti-anxiety effects and, and also anti-psychotic effects. So, you know, you can imagine if you have a different strain of cannabis and it has different proportions of CBD and THC in it, um, the experience for the user is going to be very... Um, well, unique. Oh, yeah? No kidding. Uh, certainly, and you point this out in your piece, that there's, it's a very polarized conversation in some ways. And certainly there are very enthusiastic proponents uh, of cannabis who would argue that it's, you know, it's, it's harmless. It's got all these great benefits. It's, it's really tremendous. And, you know, the other end are, are the ardent opponents of cannabis who argue that it's, you know, very dangerous. And it's, it causes psychosis and causes depression and a host of, of other negative uh, consequences from using it. And... Are we, do we often get trapped between those those extreme ends of the conversation? Yeah, I, I really think so. I, I think part of the trap is that cannabis can be helpful for people, and and it can also be harmful. And I think uh, when politics and emotions are involved, people the brain likes to take shortcuts and it likes straightforward, simple answers. And and cannabis can't really be cheapened and and distilled to a, a kind of incomplete truth like that. The reality is that can be helpful and it can be harmful despite someone's politics on the situation and despite their their emotions so um yeah i think often people get trapped but i think the the meaningful way a meaningful way to move the discussion forward is to talk about cannabis in a very nuanced way and in a very humble way and and kind of respecting the fact that we don't know uh, much about it part of that's due to the fact that it was illegal so there's going to be much more research on it which is a very good thing Mm -hmm. um but at the same time, acknowledging that um, that if, if someone talks about cannabis in a way that that uh, you know in, in very certain terms, and there's often something missing there because we we just can't speak to about it in certain terms because there's a lot of variables involved and it's a very complicated thing. We like simple and straightforward, though, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely, the brain loves heuristics; it doesn't like algorithms. Even when it comes to now legal cannabis and to try to convey something uh, to the user in terms of uh, possible risks or possible harms, you know, to take what you've written for Scientific American, which is kind of an overview of of all of this, uh, which could be a a lot more detailed even than it is. It's not the kind of thing you can distill down to, to something that you can slap on the side of a package. No, no, it's very hard to do that. Um, you know, and, and that's what public health and public policy uh, experts are. Well, that's what they're experts in in trying to convey public uh, health messages. There's um, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto adopted some uh, some low risk 
uh, guidelines that were developed by the research community, and those are quite good. So, you know, what those talk about are are things to, it acknowledges that there's risks associated with cannabis use, but there's ways that we could minimize those risks, and, and they list sort of 10 recommendations there, and they include things like, you know, not not using while while driving or um, not being intoxicated while driving, trying to avoid extremely high potency, uh, high THC potency products, trying to minimize use when you can, um, being able to titrate your dose, which can be difficult sometimes with edibles unless it's it's regulated. So um, those sorts of uh, low risk guidelines are important, and I I think if those messages get out, that's uh, that's a good thing. Let me answer the question of addiction, um, because, you know, even when it comes to, to cannabis on, on something as straightforward as addiction, there, there are mixed messages. So, A, is cannabis addictive? And, and B, can cannabis help deal with other addictions or addictions to other drugs? Yeah, that, you know, that's a fascinating area. Um, to answer the first question, um, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear this, but cannabis can absolutely be addicting. Um, it's... Um, there, there, there's no question about one in 10 people who ever try the drug, this is our estimate, one, one in 10 people who ever try cannabis will meet diagnostic criteria for a cannabis dependence disorder, and that approximates uh, that's, that's an addiction. And so, um, you know, I see those people daily at our clinics. Um, they exist. They, you know, it's not, it's not as debilitating. The addiction itself is not as debilitating as, say, the fatality of an alcohol addiction or an opioid addiction but at the same time that doesn't mean that it's a trivial thing for the person going through it because it it comes with all of the things that come with addiction like like um impaired mental health losses of relationships losses of uh jobs um poor quality of life uh it has a physical component as well which often people don't like to hear you can develop tolerance to cannabis you can develop withdrawal symptoms which are similar to a nicotine withdrawal. They're not like the flu-like symptoms of an opioid withdrawal. Um, so, yeah, absolutely cannabis can be can be addicting. I'm sorry, I forgot the second well, part of your question. Well, and you alluded to, I mean, we talk about opioid addiction and, and all the challenges we're facing trying right. to deal with that right now. I mean, can cannabis play a role in in tackling, say, opioid addiction? And it can. And so that that's a, it's a brand new, to my understanding, it's a brand new area of research Um it's exciting. There's, um, they're going to be doing some of this research out in Vancouver. Um, so the the science so far has supported the rationale for it, and they've supported the funding into this research. Um, it's an interesting thing to kind of give you an idea of the science behind it without going too much into it. We, you know, we have an endocannabinoid system, and we have uh, an opioid system. And so when we take cannabis, our cannabis binds to our our endocannabinoid system and same with opioids but the interesting thing is that um in our in our brains and our bodies the both of those symptoms or systems are they interact in lots of different ways and so um they influence each other and so that's sort of the the idea behind this is that for um there's been research that has shown that some can um the cannabis use can help with opioid or addiction cravings per se like opioid cravings and um opioid withdrawal symptoms. So that's a very interesting thing. That said, I don't want to hype it up to the extent that, it, you know, it, because the research isn't quite there yet. There's There's been some basic research in it and, and animal research, but we don't have a lot of good clinical trials on these. There's, there's no clinical trials for 
um, opioid use disorders and, and cannabis as a treatment for opioid use disorders. So that's something that's exciting for the future. Um, and it's likely, in my opinion, it's likely to be the case that these can, that we can develop cannabis-based medicines to play a role um, in the treatment of addictions like opioid addiction, but it won't be the whole solution because addiction is a very, very complex thing. And the reason for that is that it has many different causes and so our solutions need to be multi-pronged. So again, it's not being caught in that trap of having a simple answer. It's exciting because it can be a helpful thing, but it won't be the only helpful thing. Mm-hmm. And it and won't be the, it won't, it might not be helpful for everyone. Yeah. It's important to distinguish as well between um, treatment and self-medication, right? And and certainly when it comes to, to cannabis, and in particular for talking about mental health, what are the risks of, of self-medication? That's, yeah, that's a very um, interesting question. So uh, I've tried to make the case for people not to, not to mistake short-term temporary relief of mental health symptoms with therapy. So just because a substance temporarily relieves your, someone's mood, so you know you feel sad, and then you you take a drug, and this applies to not just to cannabis, but to any any substance, whether it's any acutely mind-altering substance like alcohol, cannabis, cocaine, opioids, things that can immediately change your your emotional state. That doesn't mean that a mental health disorder is being resolved, mm-hmm. and in fact, it means the it, it can often means the opposite because. What it does is that if we get used to practicing using drugs to cope with our emotions, our brain no longer gets the opportunity to practice healthy adapting coping skills. And so that if we happen to be experiencing a disorder, it never gets resolved in the first place. And so that's called a a coping motive. So if someone's using substances to cope in the very short term with anxiety or depression or anger, and they do that, say, over 100 trials, Every time that they feel a difficult emotion like anger, anxiety, and depression, their brain is going to salivate, so to speak, for a drug instead of a healthy way of coping, like talking to a friend or or processing it and um, acknowledging it and problem solving around it. And that's that's how psychopathology, like anxiety disorders and depressive disorders, maintain over time. So it's it's a really good point, and I, I would even generalize it out from cannabis to substance use in general. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, as it pertains to cannabis, though, and I mean, you know, part of the takeaway here, as you say in your piece, for the occasional user, cannabis is relatively safe. Yes, I would say that. I mean, I it has a it has a a good safety profile. So, you know, frankly, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist and I treat people with addiction um, as my day job. And so I'd rather be helping someone with a cannabis addiction than than say an opioid addiction because I'm less worried they're going to die quite frankly. And so, you know, again, not to trivialize the experience for someone with a cannabis addiction, because those are very real problems, but they're certainly not life-threatening as they might be for a very severe alcohol or opioid addiction. Well, I'd encourage people to read this piece. It's up at scientificamerican.com. Uh, Dr. Stea, thanks so much for joining us here today. really appreciate this. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you. Take care. Uh, Jonathan Stea, a Calgary-based clinical psychologist, uh, specializes uh, in issues around addiction And a really good overview of all of this, again, up at uh, scientificamerican.com. Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.